It's the Red Lotus clan burning down the Shaolin monastery and trapping the monks in the underground Red Lotus temple. Fong Sai-yuk takes center stage and fights back. All done under the watchful eye of producer Choi Hak while Ringo Lam flexes his creative muscles trying to make a dent in the 90s wave of Kung Fu and swordplay. My name is going to be with me is Tom KW and this is the director series 24 on Ringo Lam's Burning Paradise. And hello, people. Welcome back to the Ringo hello. Lamb Director's Series. Hello, Tom KW. Hello, oh, uh, I'm here as well, yeah. You've got, got me out of the broom closet for today only. You're both the people and you're Tom KW. I said, hello, people, and you said... Mate, I'm a listener and a, and a co-host for sure. Boom, win. Moon, moonlighting, man. I mean, about, I've got as much hair as Bruce Willis at the moment, so I'm definitely moonlighting for sure. You have more hair than Bruce Willis <laughs> at the moment. You used to have as much hair as Bruce Willis. Like you, you grow oh, your yeah, hair. So yeah, but yeah, Bruce Willis like circa two thousand and six, definitely. Oh, yeah, okay. we're both we're both on the same stream. Me, Willis, and the Stath, all together. Has it been enlightening and in any way in terms of uh, finding out new things about the Ringolam? I think all the ones, um, all the kind of um, series we've done. What would you what would we call them? Series within a series. Uh, sure. within a series is sure that what thing. we're going for sure with each director yeah so it's been good man it's been like obviously directors that I've known and obviously know some of the big hitters and been a chance to explore some of the films that aren't really kind of talked about um, as much so it's been nice to kind of yeah a few gems in there a few turds in there but that's that's the name of the game right and the name of the gay uh, and the name of that turd is Alan Tam, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> that specific turd, right? But we are almost running out of movies. This is the next to last uh, episode, probably on Ringo Lamb, mm-hmm. because we're um, ticking off uh, several movies in one go, and therefore we have to um, hit the t- think tank uh, as a collective group and see if we have any other directors we'd like to pursue. I have ideas, but I am going to produ- uh, present those to the group. Uh, my idea is uh, actually it's not radical, but um, and it's not, uh, but but at the same time, it's not mainstream fodder as such. But I think it would be wise to further examine the career of a woman, of a female director I really like. Ooh, so okay, we're going to keep that out and hit the think tank when it's time to, after this series concludes, which it does not with this episode. We're still in the 90s, and uh, we're going to talk about Burning Paradise. But first of all, some brief contact information. This I, is... I, I think we should do a producer series, and we should do Alan Tam's films he's produced a season on that what do you reckon there'll be a few i think i mean he had his production company with uh alan uh, with uh, eric Tang, alan and eric films or whatever yeah so. there's like there's like three so we could do it in one episode if you want uh, one of them i know i didn't like uh, alan and eric uh, between hello and goodbye that melodrama you didn't like that well uh, i'll tell you Alan Tam Week, Maggie Chung, she gets a pause anyway. Eric Tsang was the fucking star of that movie. He came through with a performance for the ages. So, you know, I didn't like Alan Tam in that one. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I agree. Yeah, I agree. He, he just steal the show a bit in that one, for sure. But uh, we'll, uh, we'll uh, as I said, we'll uh, try and come up with something to keep the director series going. But in the meantime, uh, you can find it and the back catalogue of episodes on podcastonfire.com along with our, our other shows on Hong Kong cinema, new and old, Japanese cinema, Korean cinema, sleazy cinema and what have you. And uh, we have a, a handy buttons available for each show on the right hand side of the website. If you have any questions or feedback, uh, what's your favorite Ringo Lam movie? What... Uh, did you think of Burning Paradise? If you have seen it, let us know. Podcast on fire at googlemail.com. Uh, if you want to interact with us and uh, share that particular opinion, you can do so on social media. For instance, on Facebook, if you click the Facebook button at the top of our website, that will lead you to our page. But you can also search out the discussion group called Podcast on Fire Network to follow show updates and engaging discussions and so forth. So welcome in, start some new uh, threads and um, join the mighty fine and friendly group so um and uh if, if you don't feel like talking about something we have the screen cap 
frenzy, Fred. Just we... lurk, dude. Like, if you don't feel like talking, just lurk. There's some good stuff there. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, uh, and barely any fights, ever. There's rarely, yeah, there's rarely fights. I think that's the one thing I'm, I'm quite proud of. Uh, there's, bare, there's, there's barely any. Well, there's no physical fights. That's not something that, that we do. But you, you talk about verbally. Yeah, because this isn't... Uh, <laughs> are you trying to do meetups with the group in real life? Why does no one arrive? I t- <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's been like it's like Fight Club, but it's just me there. It's really weird. Like, I show up, me, meatloaf, few chairs. Nothing ever pops off, though. He just wants to sing to me. The well, well, you shouldn't talk about Fight Club, so that makes sense. <laughs> oh, shit. Fucked up so, so bad. No one can be there. But at any rate, uh, that's the um, Facebook uh, side of things. Click the Twitter button to follow our tweets. Uh, the iTunes button leads you to our feed, so you can subscribe to it if you want your podcasts uh, delivered promptly to your favorite um, podcast app or the Apple podcast app. And if you do follow us and feel like leaving some feedback, we would very much appreciate it. You can leave just a star rating, good or bad, but we would pre- appreciate it if you uh, wrote a little little something. doesn't need to be much in the form of a review, good or bad. So um, we uh, be honest. We can take it. Don't be abusive, but be honest. Well, the, I, I think that's the case of if you write something like F them and F this, maybe that won't go through the Apple sort of filter. Who knows? Maybe so. At any rate, uh, uh, we uh, are located on iTunes. Uh, you can stream us on Stitcher. And uh, I write, write about a variety of Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies over at SoGoodReviews.com. I have a small video hub with my spoken audio video reviews. That's LisaKVideo.com. And my tweets are available at SoGoodReviews. And uh, Tom KW has a little review archive. Hello. At TheCinemaShow.com. Occasionally he writes. And uh, they store his uh, excellent writing over at TheCinemaShow.com. And will be Providing the link to that as per usual. Thanks, man. I'm hoping to get yeah a few things up there. I always say that, but it's whenever the mood hits me, whenever the right film hits me. It's supposed to be, uh, you know, kind of looking to what about Burning Paradise coming out. Well, I was kind of looking at the kind of newer stuff, to be honest. And then obviously, um, at the moment, you know, for me, there's not a lot of new stuff kind of coming out that I'm really kind of jumping on. I think the whole mainland situation, as I mean, kind of spoke about in the past, you know, it just, I don't know, what feel the films are a bit watered down. It's just not something I really want to kind of spend my time on. So um, I'm hoping there's going to be some good stuff coming out, though. And uh, obviously looking elsewhere, Japan, you know, Thailand. Sure, sure. They're, they're, they'll accept anything at vcinemashow.com. They're not ex- exclusively... Uh... Well, the collaboration territory. So, uh, if you feel something uh, creative uh, growing in you based on a Japanese movie, go ahead and That's write it. it, man. I think whenever the time strikes, so I think it's, uh, that's the best way to do it, rather than just churn it out. You know, just whenever the whenever the iron's hot, and that iron better be a, a good film or a film that at least you know leads you to kind of write about it. So, yeah, man, keep keep posted, or you can always find me here in my the old retirement home known as Podcast on Fire. <laughs> Thanks very much for that. For old men who are haircuts don't suit them. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you very much. Mate, we're all there. We're all there, buddy. We're all there. Speak for yourself. I'm hip. (laughs) I'm hip. You are hip. You are the hippest people I know, man. Honestly. I turned 39 this year. This is how I look. (laughs) He doesn't look it, though, does he, ladies and gentlemen? 38 and a half at the very least. Yeah, you're you're actually spot on. It's essentially 38 and a half, actually, (laughs) right at this moment. But in the meantime, uh, we're going to provide you with a rundown of uh, what's to come. we got a fairly simple show ahead of us, but uh, plenty of movies to uh, to cover. So first of all, we'll be doing some quick reviews of, first of all, Ringo Lam's Hollywood debut, Maximum Risk. Followed by 1998's uh, Hong Kong venture, The Suspect, that he made with Louis Ku and company in the location of the Philippines, though. But it is a Hong Kong production. And uh, since uh, we, although not me and Tom together, have done a uh, podcast on fire on his 1999 genre hybrid victim, and me and Hong Kong Dave did that show once upon a time, we'll be merely looking Shout back on it. Shout out Hong Kong Dave. Shout Not out sure. indeed. Uh, he can be, uh, at this point when this is released, he might be in the Philippines because he's actually planning a trip to the Philippines. Dave oh. is awesome. I know obviously he gets up to Hong Kong a lot, the lad, so it's good to see. He's, he's stretching his horizons a bit. Lovely stuff. But uh, he and I did the show on the victim once upon a time so we'll be linking to yeah, the episode and was we'll that, be sh- we're talking years now yeah, we? yeah 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 totally uh 11 2011 2012 maybe 
Uh, but uh, that's in the archive. We'll be linking to it, so we'll be sharing some brief opinions. Despite um, this, is then followed by some minor notes on the character of uh, Fong Sayok that features in Burning Paradise, and uh, we'll conclude the episode with a review and discussion of it. But first of all, the quick take section that will cover maximum risk and the suspect, and we'll do maximum risk first for no no other reason than uh, that's the first one I watched out of the quick takes. But I'm going to hand it over to Tom to share his views on maximum risk from 1996 uh, rewatch. Uh, uh, of some kind, yeah. Uh, yeah, my rewatch for me it was uh, yeah, it must be like ten years or so, or something since I saw it. I remember enjoying it at the time, and pretty much exactly the same. Felt the same way again this time. It's it's like mid-level Van Damme. It's like some fantastic bursts of action, um, but you know, Jean himself and the scripts and the cast. It's just it, it all seems a bit tired, to be honest. I think you know Ringo's doing what he does best, um, and it's definitely got a good vibe, and I think obviously Jean-Claude recognised that vibe that Ringo was bringing because obviously he went on to work with him again. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it's good. It's just it's not it's not up there with either the director or the star's best work. I do enjoy the kind of uh, rejected Bond theme uh, vibe of the, uh, the end credit song, though. Just dig on, dig on that. No, I didn't, didn't pick that up, but uh, you're a bigger you Bond you, fan you than I am. I was going to so, say, you didn't YouTube the shit out of that afterwards like I did. I was I was vibing to that, man. It was nice. Those soft, sultry lyrics. It was good. I was just imagining Van Damme's ass to it in a, in a bathhouse. So what do you think? Uh, do you think uh, Ringo's voice is uh, present here, or is, or is it more Jean-Claude uh, all the way? Good mix, man. Good mix. I think good mix, definitely. It's got more, I mean, it's more the kind of, I want to say more now, it's got a good mix of kind of the more, you know, explosive um, stuff, the vehicular stuff, uh, and then a bit more, you know, a Van Damme's kind of vibe. But I wouldn't say as much as the kind of the vibe as in, say, Bloodsport or Kickbox or something, the martial arts vibe. It's more kind of grounded, keeps your stuff in, like, close quarters. There's a lot of fights in, like, uh, you know, kind of houses indoors and, like, in the bathhouse, as I said, and... Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. It's a good mix of stuff. Uh, I dig it. It's, uh, I say, it's not. It's not kind of the best of both of them, but it's, um, it's a good compromise between the two. I sort of agree. It is also sort of okay. I mean, uh, for for me, it it's no in terms of like I, I like if we compare to another Hong Kong director like Choi Hak, I like talking about Double Team more than I like to yeah, watch yeah. it. Right, even though they're even though they're completely different movies. Uh, but Ringo's Hollywood debut, I think it's admirably in tune at times with his Hong Kong sensibilities, and uh, he attempts to bring Jean Claude down into more scaled down territory. Yeah. In other words, bring him down to a reality a bit, a more gritty reality, and that's good. It's highlighted mainly all of that by uh, action wise, anyway by the opening and closing chases, plus some select uh, action beats. But uh, the the problem is that there's bursts here of Ringo's vision that doesn't translate into like a full-on noisy spectacle that's good all the way through. It's a solid thriller, but also a bit timid for a big Van Damme release, um, mm. which is good good and bad because it is slightly tired, but I like the new sort of approach. The approach. Uh, there are some poorly placed and forced one-liners, yes, but normally he keeps it in check with some logical and feasible acting and action beats. You know, there's wrist breaks and kicking, but he also gets injured more often than not, which I thought was actually... I, I like that. It humanized things a little bit um, in terms of the best action, fight-wise, anyway. Yeah, I think I think Van Damme's always been like that, though, hasn't he, really? I think, uh, you know, obviously from a few a few minor roles, like back in the 80s, like, um, is it like Black Eagle and stuff, when he plays like um, a no-retreat, where he's like, you know, an invincible kind of bad guy. But I think, you know, since kind of uh, the 90s, he's always done that. He's kind of, he's never had to kind of, you know, get a bit beaten up, you know, a bit of rough and tumble with him. He's never been the kind of superhero martial arts guy, really. And he definitely started to branch out with his acting around this time as well. Yeah, for sure. I, I think I appreciated that more than anything else. But uh, there are some good fight scenes, especially the the violent altercation in the elevator. That's quite gritty and non-flashy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just nice brutality in that confined space and also the um, street chaos at the end evokes a little bit of the eye that Ringo Lam brought to City on Fire for instance so so it's not terribly watered down for Hollywood but there's there's also merely bursts of inspiration and and I'm not surprised there, there was no further big time release Hollywood adventure for Ringo Lam when he came back there he was a straight to DVD director which we'll talk of in the next episode he, he he relocated to Hong Kong and finished off the 90s in strong fashion though which we'll cover yeah it's it's all kind of 
a bit a bit kind of you know tired. It's it's kind of been there, done that. But I think he's perfectly like serviceable and and at, at times quite you know quite fun. Yeah, the the guys who um, wrote the scary movies films did a uncredited rewrite on this film. Maybe they're uh, responsible for those uh, forced one-liners, even though there were only one or two of them. Yeah, I was a bit concerned when Ghostface popped up and started stabbing people, and Van Damme had to do him in. That was a bit weird. That was. Or was it deleted scenes? I can't. I can't. Parody before Scream existed <laughs> or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we're going to jump forward a little bit. Uh, by 1998, he had returned to Hong Kong and done one movie, but uh, that one we're going to talk of next episode in full. But uh, what we're going to talk of in a quick fashion here is The Suspect from 1998. So, Tom, what's your uh, brief view on this uh, rather unknown Ringo Lam? Uh, it's, it's sort of drowned out in that strong, uh, strong end to the 90s and in between in that sandwich was The Suspect. So what did you think of it? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, a bit of a thumbs down for me, to be honest. I think it was just a, the, the confusing plot, really, that kind of bogged down, and it just never really lights up. Like for me, I think it was just it was just this. Um, it just kind of happened, to be honest, and it never really picked up. And I don't think there's any kind of stakes to it, and it was all kind of like a bit, a bit, a bit tired, to be honest. I think the performances, nothing in it really struck me as as incredible. You know, Simon Yam's in it, and it's kind of like I can't even really remember a lot about what he was doing in it. Lewis Koo, you know, fairly early role for him, he's still kind of finding his feet. And again, not particularly great. Just, just decent. I mean, if you told if you told me that anybody directed this, really, to be honest, I don't think it's got that Ringo Lam feel for me personally. Any action beats that stood out for you? And uh, was the location uh, location shift to the Philippines any and anything that uh, increased its watchability? It was nice, and uh, around this period as well, Ringo's doing a lot of let's go on holiday and let's do some films. As you know, uh, as we'll get to kind of you know with, with some of the ones coming later. Um, but no, I mean like none of the action really kind of stood out for me. There's you know there's some there's some like rocket launch stuff and there's some helicopter stuff, but nothing really kind of um, you know knocked me out like. Obviously, Ringo's earlier work does. I I think I like it ever so slightly more than you, but it is sort of medium and in on all fronts. I mean, technically, budget-wise, it's sort of medium and it's sandwiched in between the nineties great ones, uh, in my in my opinion. Maybe we have different opinions of the other movies, but anyway, it it's sometimes on the verge of some of sometimes being good, but it's a little bit too quick and mild for that dramatic punch to come through i mean i mean essentially lewis ku has served a prison sentence since he was young he's released earlier and without warning he's sort of forced to assassinate a political figure in the philippines it's uh so it's set in the philippines partly or even mostly and uh i mean the the location it's fine i mean it's set there but that's not what is going to increase the action level versus Hong Kong or anything. It's in the Philippines. It's good enough that they change it up. And I, I think Louis Koo, um, his, his acting is uh, is decent. He's timid and he's controlled almost like a dog initially. Yeah, yeah, it's quite restraint. And I think he, he gets a bit of a chance towards the back end for it to pick up a bit, but never really goes into kind of territory of, oh, that's a good performance. It's just, yeah, it's, it's just decent. You know, it's decent early role for him. He was still he 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 was working hard at uh, this time still uh, yeah you, you know and he is still working hard but nowadays he he has a range that works very well I mean I don't know if you ever saw Call of Heroes where he's uh, completely crazy and it's a uh, quite a lovely performance uh, where he goes uh, off the rails as the bad guy in Call of Heroes uh, the Benny Chan movie and and there is some decent writing here and there he, uh, Louis Koo says at one point from today I start to think things through. I kind of like that as a as a minor theme because he's yeah. the suggestion is that crime may still be his life, but he's gonna decide upon his own path rather than be controlled as a dog and all of that. And there, there's further cliches and tropes about the loyalty of brotherhood. And uh, this is at the start of the movie, so it, it's fairly involving. the The assassination is a fairly impressive looking. There's a car chase that's fairly real in feel, but it's no full alert or anything. So it tries. It's 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 a korma on the uh, the Ringo Lamb curry scale. You know what I mean? It's just it's mild. It does the job, but it's quite. It's a bit too buttery. It feels a little bit quickly conceived, but um, uh, you know, medium doesn't mean it's lacking, but it certainly isn't um, a hidden gem or anything. Probably a reason why it's not really spoken about a lot, and I think it does kind of get lost a bit in that, as you say, in that kind of last um, that period of late nineties where there's there's quite a few, you know awesome films or, or at least films where he was trying something new and a bit different you know he was kind of making moves Ringo 
my favorite action beats though are in uh, the jail cell towards j- jail cell towards the end we got a police station shootout that's pretty okay and raw in bursts and uh i just think because it was confusing the plot like i couldn't get behind the action beats it was difficult for me to get behind action beats because it was like i didn't know where certain people's loyalties lie and stuff uh there's that militia red by led by Raylu, and it's like a bit weird in terms of what is kind of is where his loyalties lay and like why he's kind of involved with the film and what his kind of goals are and it's a bit odd to kind of just shows up and, and helps him and and it's i think that's why for me when when the kind of finale came around the last few action bits it didn't really hit as hard because i was a bit confused as to where the plot was going maybe i'm a dummy it's fair enough but uh, the I, I didn't think too much about that i think i understood it enough and uh, and uh, just to round up my notes uh, the end shootout and the street chaos towards the end it's it's dependable and there's some good hairy stunts here and uh, i think technically an action lamb's eye for this has remained sharp and you can see it here but it is middling medium and uh, watch it to complete it all but uh, it feels a little, somewhat half-hearted and more fully he's more fully invested in the technical aspect of it all because uh, that, that gets the job done but it's in and out of your consciousness uh, really quickly yeah you think, yeah yeah I, I agree with that man yeah the last film i saw obviously lucian was in uh, was um probably call the heroes yeah and he's, he's awesome in that yeah i was trying to think so you mentioned the last film he was in but apparently he's supposed to be really good in white storm but i have not seen that no, me neither. The last one I saw was um, Johnny Toss Free, uh, the uh, the hostage movie set at a hospital. Um, was that after Drug War or before Drug War? After, I think. A year or two after. after. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he's good in that as well. He's incredible in that. Very good. And uh, here he plays, uh, in Free, he plays a cop that uh, probably has used some uh, wrongful tactics trying to bring down bad guys. And uh, there's a brewing hostage situation at a hospital. I like nowadays that Louis, he's... Uh, Compared to at least the end of the nineties, uh, where he looks, uh, you know, he looks thin and he looks, you know, trim and all of that. But he's somewhat bigger nowadays, and it can be more intimidating. He's grown in, he's, he's grown a little bit. Uh, and his his tans, like his tans, kind of like it's blended in with his body now. It's not all located on his face. Like it's kind of <laughs> blended in with his other body parts. So it's a good, it's a good blend now. It sort of reminds me of uh, of a performer in Victim, a Tony Langar fight, because uh, I remember when I saw Victim for the first time, I I remember Tony as a little bit more of a scrawny presence, you know, um, and and Victim really showed him being bigger and intimidating a little bit. So speaking of Victim, we're gonna have a brief look back, even though Tom has watched it for the first time this time, I think. So let me throw over to you for some brief opinions on on Ringo Lamb's possible genre hybrid, meaning cops, robbers possible ghosts as well that's definitely yeah i'd say it's a possible hybrid for sure man um yeah it's a bit a bit weird to be honest it's a kind of oddball bleak thriller uh which tries its hand at a couple of different genres that don't really come together for a satisfying whole for me personally it tries it there. everything really it starts kind of as a we say like a, a ghost like a ghost house kind of film first which is never really it, it's kind of uh, like it's dealing with kind of possessions possibly and some kind of spiritual stuff going on that's not really closed that book it's kind of opened and talked about but it's never really kind of closed in terms of we never get an exact um answer to what was and going that's on really not what the movie intended to do either yeah well not re- yeah not really and it goes to kind of your, your cop stuff which is kind of you know standard stuff we, we've kind of seen it before in, in ringo's over but decent you know decent performances and there's some nice beats in it and there's some good um at least cinematography especially kind of in the in the spooky scenes i got spooked myself a bit um you know plays with some some good shadows and some kind of um good story beats but yeah again yeah not 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 great but an interesting mix i really really like victor uh, because it's it's not afraid to embrace any of the genres um mm. it's uh, dealing with here because it's the cop procedural cops and robbers template and tropes galore as he does the haunted house uh, possession movie that forms the basis for its mystery so he's not afraid to pour it on and i think he's really confident when he does that and uh, for me um, I, I was on track with his intentions i was hooked all throughout because i like this atmosphere F- fair amount of threats granted yes but i i i, I thought um, i was uh, able to keep up and his initial scary bursts of uh, violence is something i really like like the innocent victims of violence in the parking garage initially and uh, we 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 got some eerie acting by Lao Ching Wan who's 
that se- it's like a serial killer vibe going on. There's, sure. so, there's something up there, and then he froze froze up during the interrogation. And uh... yeah, but I don't think that's kind of touches upon. I think that's why I'd like something to kind of come out of that. But we get these kind of hints uh, that he's possibly possessed or something. I think maybe I was thinking it was going to go down that route and maybe show us something, but it never goes there. It's like it's it's untouched and it just turns into kind of a you know serial killer kind of film. Well, 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 for me, I thought that was part of um, you know the character putting on a possible uh some possible deception tactics so yeah uh, for sure for sure for sure i got that i think i just liked it kind of finished a bit where it kind of started maybe i, I don't know it, it's not winking at us satirically at any point which i kind of like and the, the the biggest scare really after all is said and done is actually louching one's sign of domestic abuse towards his wife which is played by his real wife uh, amy kwok mm. uh, you know because the, the movie starts to show that he has uh, that there's financial reasons for what he's doing there's desperate reasons for what he's doing and uh, so so it plays into a little bit of reality about uh, you know the economy crashing and stuff like that oh yeah when he kicks off like that's, that's a good scene eh? i do like that one he belts that tv that's a good yeah there's some good there's some very there's some very good acting from lao as as per usual I just think he's just—he's not really given enough material for me to really kind of work with. Yeah, there's a terrific, um, like, little gunplay sequence in a cramped hallway, which uh, just comes out of nowhere, which I really like. I mean, it's it's Ringo Lam doing sort of what you also can see in Full Alert, but I I think he's uh, sometimes unstoppable when it comes to real and gritty violence. It's always um, it feels uh, more hard hitting and more more there is more consequence to uh to things here he, and I, I was on board i thought he would continue to be smart with the mystery if it's desperation psychosis possession or not and uh, there's enough hints there which, which i thought was the structure that we which makes us you know we don't decide upon until the end of the film possibly what actually was going on because uh, they they don't sort of show their hand until quite late and that, that actually brings up the fact that there's two endings to this film yeah i was about to say about that uh, i did read that they're, they're they're featuring the same footage right the only difference is the um is in what type of effects they put on screen uh what happened was that uh ringo lam and producer joe ma they didn't agree upon the ending but they agreed to show Ringo Lam's preferred ending on half the principal cinema. Joe Ma had his preferred ending on the other half. And uh, the old DVD featured Ringo Lam's ending. And then on either new DVD and or new VCD, the remastered one, you had a Joe Ma ending and not uh, any uh, supplement on the <laughs> on the new DVD. So it's kind of like if you want Ringo Lam's ending on DVD, try and get the old DVD. <laughs> so... So let's enter the main portion of the re- of the episode, and that is the review and discussion of Burning Paradise from 1994. And plot from the Hong Kong Digital Review of the film goes as follows. Uh, Ringo Lam's Burning Paradise finds legendary Qing Dynasty heroes Fong Saiyok, played by Willy Chi, and monk Chinun caught up in the Manchu government's quest to exterminate the students of Shaolin Temple, which is the premise of several martial arts films produced at mm. Shaw Brothers, for instance. Uh, following his, his capture at the hands of the Manchu General Crimson, played by John Ching. Fong Sayok is incarcerated along with his fellow pupils at Red Lotus Temple, a subterranean neverworld riddled with booby traps. Turning his back on Shaolin, a monk called Hong, played by Yung Sing, allies himself with the prison commander Elder Kung, played by Wong Kam Kong. He's a br- and that Elder Kung, he's a brutal psychopath who likes to adorn his garish paintings with human blood and seeks new specimens for his collection of mummified women. Don't think any of that was in, in the Shaw Brothers movies. This is new, new gothic stuff. No. <laughs> uh, however, the prisoners may have a surprise alley in the form of Boroke, uh, which is uh, the Mangy Lam character. And she's the Kung's right-hand woman whose love for one Shaolin fight may be enough for her to challenge her allegiance, change her allegiance, rather. So it's an underground uh, little uh, battlefield and... Uh, Playhouse, if you will. The thing is, this flopped. <laughs> and I really even mm. bombed back in uh, 1994, despite Choi Hark's producing skills being on it. Uh, and he was also the man that headed the, the wire-assisted kung fu craze of the 90s, after all. But all that kick-started Tom in 1990-1991. So, and even his fifth installment of Once Upon a Time in China made less than $5 million. Yeah. Uh, Burning Paradise was only close to $2 million during a sparse eight days in the cinema you're out crazy man stuff just like went in and went out you know back then in hong kong it's, it's mad 
if if they sensed he wasn't doing well, then you know pulled it, man. Yeah, yep. just pulled it out. Exactly. They'd add something else, like you know, probably Wong Jing made it to to bang in, like you know, a, a week afterwards. To be fair, and Simon Yam's probably in it. We we need to have people <laughs> visiting our cinema, so you're up. <laughs> um, and I I obviously can't ask it uh, answer this question, but uh, one may be able to argue that you know. It was a new type of swordplay movie, Wu Shapian, with new moods, and uh, it was darker. So maybe that wasn't something audiences were keen on. Slash, they'd been subjected to so many of these movies by 1994 anyway. So maybe they were simply not receptive to another. So I think you're right. I think there's two. Yeah, the two main reasons was it's probably at the very end of that kind of Wuxia period of that kind of that that kind of. Uh, you know rebirth in the 90s of it um but also as i think we said in the past i think you know uh hong kong cinema goers just weren't open to a lot of darker stuff i mean i think we, we spoke about this in the past with like certain things that uh, you know stood the test of time that are really great weren't a big hit initially in hong kong because of that kind of dark tone or you know a bit more of a violent tone where some of the stuff that's a bit more kind of lighter was you know you think you think the bit the best selling films or the films that uh, make the most money in Hong Kong are the obviously the um, the Christmas movies, right? Obviously the the Lunar New Year movies, uh, I should say. Um, and I think that's really the kind of the main draw, like you know, for for how many years was that? So I think the further you get away from that type of film, the more it's kind of less of a success. I mean, if someone can name for me or bring to my attention a film that's a bit darker that was a massive hit in Hong Kong, then I'd I'd be interested to hear that. Well, 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 actually, I have an example. But what they did was they combined more audience-friendly elements because the bride with white hair is, mm. you know, Bridget Lin's character is part of this cult. And, yeah. You know, with creepy Siamese twins and all of that, but it is a romantic, somewhat erotic movie at the same time. It's got yeah, Leslie it's not, it's in it. It's not very so... nihilistic, is it? Exactly. But it, it... Which I think that's that's the main the recurring theme, especially with a lot of Ringo's work. It's a very nihilistic theme, especially here there is with this as well. And I think that's why it doesn't quite hit but in hindsight, I think, you know, uh, some of that stuff is, is I, I, time has been the most kindest to it. Producer Troy Hack was pleased, though. He spoke a little of the film uh, during an interview on the French DVD. Uh, uh, he talked of how much uh, him and his friends liked this burning of the monastery type of film and storyline growing up. But, uh, but as adults, they didn't find the romance within all of this logical uh this does feature this but uh, that was maybe Chohak giving way to Ringo's wishes uh, uh Chohak was approached to direct but he was too busy uh he says he was making Green Snake at the same time this was filming uh in Shanghai and I believe uh he suggested that Burning Paradise was shot in Shanghai as well and uh but he suggested Ringo because Ringo had been outspoken about wanting to direct this kind of movie and this kind of action so uh he uh, he worked pretty hard hard and hands on as a producer setting up the project, but gave way to Ringo's experience instead, and let him act as his own producer once they got going further because he knew that uh, he, he can be his own producer. And uh, so I, I don't need to interfere. It did go over budget over budget at one point, but ultimately they they did uh, you know uh, uh, tie a bow around the production and finish up as they wanted. As I said, Chohak was shooting Green Snake at the time. He, he peeked in as producer, and uh, but he couldn't really agree with Ringo's story direction, so eventually he just let his friend get on with it. So it's a case of Chohak reeling it in for once. Normally he was like, oh, nope, I'm, I'm right, I'm taking over. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, dominate sets, you know, really, but it's good that he did. I think probably for the best, to be honest. Yeah, he gave his friend freedom and he, he admitted that uh, he was very pleased with the movie and its energy and its ideas. So, um, uh, so that was uh, that was good. I asked um, a Hong Kong cinema expert and a friend of the network, Mike Leader, if he knew anything about the lead, Willie Chi, which, um, you know, he was in Drunken Master 3 and a couple of other movies, but um, he's not acting anymore. I asked if he knew any background on how he came to be the lead in Burning Paradise. And uh, in Mike's own words, uh, Willie was a rich kid. Uh, his father invested in Burning Paradise and Drunken Master 3. Uh, both films tanked at the box office and neither the movie Little Drunken Masters and 18 Shaolin Boys did anything at the box office either. So I think that's when they realized he wasn't going to get any more leading roles and he stepped away. And not, and not, and not to take that, that to take away from his, his skills and his skill set because I think in this, you know, it, it's an incredible performance, I think, personally. Um, you know, I, I don't know how much kind of he was doubled. Um, I don't know how much we, he needed help with the choreography. I suppose, you know, a lot of the behind the scenes stuff is a bit sparse on this. 
um, you know, apart from kind of outside information, but I don't, I don't see why, you know, he wasn't, I haven't seen Drunken Master 3, but I don't see why he didn't go on to kind of become a star, to be honest. Because for this, I think this is a good kind of MO to kind of, you know, come out with. Well, maybe if he had done two, you know, really good movies, box office wise, and two movies that yeah, weren't, yeah, sure. but it for sounds sure. like the entire run was not box office friendly. And, yeah. you know, you can't get your father to invest in movie after movie after movie that loses money. Drunken Master 3 with Andy, Andy Lau? Yeah. Is it, is yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I've watched it. It's not my favorite Drunken Master. It's not the worst movie made, but it has its detractors, and I remember I could probably agree on some of that. because uh, I th- It's one of those I think I've seen, but that probably shows it's not particularly that memorable, but I'd have to watch it again. Uh, we got used to Jet Li as Wong Fei Hong in the 90s, and even Jet Li as Fong Sayuk, as Willie Will Chi plays Fong Sayuk in, um, in this movie. Uh, Jet Li played him in Corey Yun's Entertaining Two Films um, with this uh, same title as the main character, Fong Sayuk 1 and 2. Yeah. But uh, here, Fong Sayuk as played by Willie Chi is part of a darker adventure, as we said, and it seems like while Wong Fei Hong existed in real life, but his myth was built on to some degree, and therefore some elements lean more towards fiction if you read about Wong Fei Hong but Fong Sayuk was possibly purely a fictional character I couldn't really get any confirmation mm. he is said to be from the Shaoqing city in the Guangdong province he pops up in Wuxia stories dating back to the Qing dynasty which was between 1644 and 1912 his father was a wealthy merchant his mother was a martial arts expert which you can see in Fong Zayok, literally yeah. because that, yeah. that, those were the Josephine Shao and Paul Chu characters he is and gets connected to a real life martial artist called Hong Hei Gun which was an influential figure in the southern Shaolin school of martial arts and was one of the five elders of the southern Shaolin monastery but again I can't verify if it did exist as the character is um, as the character is described and depicted them. Uh, so, and essentially, by the way, the five elders were survivors of the Shaolin Temple uh, burning uh, by the Xing Dynasty, which uh, I think is either they ever did it many times, or or the the dates or the years in terms of when that burning took place differs. Because I found reference, I found references to the burning taking place in 1647, 1674, and 1732. The burning was 1981, dude. Really good, <laughs> good slasher, dude. Chung yeah. Western. <laughs> reference <laughs> the character of Fong Sayuk popped up in movies as early as 1938 as well as in 11 movies between 1948 and 1951 where he, where he was played seemingly all throughout that run by actor Sek Jin Chi he did the character in further movies but they spaced out the production years as time went by so that's the most busy period where he played Fong Sayok. 1965's The Invincible Kid Fong Sayok uh, is uh, I, I couldn't really confirm this for sure but I think it said that female actress Petrina Fung Bobo played Fong Sayok in, in that one which was not un- uncommon in general to have women play uh, male characters and stuff like that more known is the fact that Alexander Fu Sheng played Fong Sayok for director Chang Che in multiple yeah. movies such as Heroes 2 and The Shaolin Temple and of course Jet Li again don't the high-flying role in the mentioned movies in the 90s very interesting Kenny awesome little bit of uh, factoids there I enjoyed it as as a host I mean, I don't know how the audience feels, but that was very informative. But it would be fun if uh, we could find more of these movies, but I'm guessing the older the movies say, are. Yeah, do you think Fong has been played since then, as a, as a trivia? And the, the thing is, I think since Jet Li and also, there was a Chin Kalok movie, um, the, the Kung Fu Kid. Because couldn't you, couldn't you do, um, you could type the character in on on uh, IMDb and see, and see, should we have a look? Well, 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 I went by Hong Kong Movie Database, and, and I think based on that, it seems like it hasn't been done since, but maybe in TV, uh-huh. because... Uh, Possibly, yeah, you're very right, you, yeah. You, you can do right. 40 episodes and structure, you know, stories around that, so, um, and uh, you can have a comedic performer do action, because if you feature Jet Li in a lighter role, then I think that... They, they got the sense that that's popular so you can slot Fong Sayok into a somewhat lighter role and not the stoic Wong Fei Hong and that's rife for TV I think I mean um, definitely yeah uh, so uh, let us know if you know if uh, Fong Sayok has, uh, has uh, been the subject of TV series since uh, since the 90s and onwards 
uh, the third 36 Chamber movie has uh, the lead character there is Fong Sayok. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice ball, man. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Uh, as for short opinions of Burning Paradise, let me throw it over to you, Tom. What do you think in short of Ringo Lam's Dark? Wuxia man, it's, it's, uh, it's epic. Like, I think uh, Ringo you know, does Wuxia and it's absolutely badass. I mean, it's what you'd expect. It's tough, gritty, uh, and an exciting stab at the genre. Well, good. I, I like that. Uh, badass, I, I agree with it. It's it's kind of designed as a fun ride, even though it has graphic dark elements, but it's devoid of, you know, dark message about ruling for, uh, forces. Uh, it's, uh, it, isn't, um, it isn't like bogged down with politics. And even though I say it's fun, it, hasn't, it, it doesn't have contrasting stuff that hurts the movie. It, it's pretty much grim. Yeah, well, it's one of its AKAs is what the rape of the Red Temple, which I think is is uh, befitting of it, <laughs> of of kind of you know what goes on in terms of what the characters are trying to do. Yeah, very, very much so, and uh, maybe a conceived title that they had to abandon because um, you know possibly yeah, uh, maybe yeah. it was too much for a category two B, you, B movie. You ne- yeah, you never know with these AKAs. It could be just someone's just made up, like someone like just recorded it off TV and like put that on their video, then put it on HKMDB because it sounded good. <laughs> I'm going to call this Ringo number 13. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sort of has happened because I, you know what Wong Jing, producer Wong Jing, wanted the Rape by an Angel movie to be called initially? Maybe not, no. What was it? Legal Rape. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>, hell. <laughs> Only Wong Jing, eh? Only Wong Jing. <laughs> In the end, they made quite an offensive movie, but it was called Rape by an Angel and they had, had quite an offensive poster campaign as well, but uh, Legal Rape, they just had, no, you can't do that. But anyway, uh, it's perhaps more nihilistic than any of the 90s movies of its kind, but uh, regardless, uh, it has creative design work, good pace, creative use of wires, but also features a lot of grounded action. But it doesn't rely on age-old martial arts structure, which I found fresh. Uh, I, I, I didn't view this as a kung fu movie, necessarily. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, I think the kind of the the cast of, I wouldn't say unknowns, but I've said about Willie Chi, uh, you know, was kind of a newcomer. But you get, you know, not massive humongous stars. You get Carmen Lee uh, and Young Sing um, shows up as well. He's always a reliable presence. Not a massive filmography, but always, you know, a really good, um, you know, tough presence. Um, I think it, it, it leaves Ringo more time to kind of focus on building like a vibe, um, you know, and kind of cinematography. And it, I think there's more focus on kind of making this complete kind of film, this ride rather than, you know, it being a star vehicle. I think that you know, that really helps it. In, in retrospect, it does, because uh, you don't sit there and watch, like, uh, the star doing a lot of stuff or anything. Uh, and you're pretty spot on, because uh, already from the beginning, it feels ominous and oppressing, you know, with the burning of the books and the temple and the monks chanting, and the Buddha statues, obviously, they, they pierce that, and they batter that, and they, they're going to topple that over or whatever. So the martial world feels a little bit uglier now. And and even when they reach the desert, uh, you obviously have you know it's not a it's not a Sahara obviously. So the desert mm. is harsh, and when the uh, when the army turns up, you know you got these dark costumes that just looks like uh, you know dark overlords ready to consume you. So it's not standard stuff from storage that they put on film here. It's kind of a, the vibe. The vibe is um, while not depressing or anything, but I I think it's cool. Yeah, I think it's kind of oppressing rather than. I think there's you know there's a big difference, and I think depressing would mean maybe uh, you know unless you're a goth, you don't really want to sit there and enjoy, you know, sit there for kind of two hours. But I think with depressive, it's more a vibe of, uh, you know, there's kind of danger and there's darkness, and I think there's there's more of that vibe rather than it being you know depressing because film could be set anywhere really, and it could be you know depressing. It couldn't just you know it just doesn't light up, but this this movie really does, um, and and I think the. The set design and the cinematography uh, is a big part of it. I mean, you could you could you could argue it's like a, it's like a gothic wuxia. Oh, for sure, which, for sure. Uh, which I think for the time was very unique, and it harkened back to me to those classic Shaw Brothers kind of horror films like uh, Human Lanterns, which become the show, or, or Black Magic, or it harkened very much back to that 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 period. It Choi harkened <laughs> back to that period. Yeah, he did it! Woo! Fantastic. I feel I feel like I've actually got a crowd that deserves and respects me now. Fun with sound effects, kids. But I wanted to ask you, uh, because we, we talk dark, dark and oppressing. I didn't slit my wrist during it, no. I was tempted to um, before and after, but during the whole film, no, no wrist slitting, no. 
well, the arms picking out of the uh, ground when they enter the temple, their wrists have been uh, violate, <laughs> violated and done some. There's, there's no skin left on those. No, mate, they, that's gone. That's but what sc- I wanted to ask, because the violence they go for and the bloodshed they go for is a little bit lone wolf and cubbish. Do, do you think that's too much? Or is it uh, part of the vibe for the film? Because what Willie Chi does, you know, when he kicks into action, he starts uh, slicing and dicing, you know? I agree with you, mate. I think the action is, as I got a dark tone, uh, it's terrific. It's very much in the kind of Once Upon a Time in China school of choreography rather than, say, in the Iron Monkey camp. If we're talking about kind of, you know, Wuxia's, uh, you know, the, the revival of this period, uh, meaning very wire-based but still played quite grounded and within the realm of hand-to-hand combat, albeit a lot bloodier and brutal. So I think that to me, it took the best of kind of what's already been seen there, but kind of notched it up with that Ringo Lamb, that kind of bleakness, that kind of... But but but, but even with uh, cartoony stuff, like uh, like torsos being torn in half and you see blood spurting. It, yeah. it was good. It was all in that kind of classic, um, maybe like, you know, like kind of samurai uh, film or, or kind of, again, more kind of heading towards staying in kind of Hong Kong cinema, more kind of, um, you know, Fatal Flying Guillotine and stuff like that. It was more of, of that of that vibe for me. And I think it, it suits... Well well, it's, I don't think it's, you know, none of it's played for laughs or, or, or comedy. It's really, it's done well. I, I agree. But, and even he, he does do violence that is, you know, dark and effective the way characters are just brutally killed too. So I think that that, that adds to the dark ride, but also the fun ride without it being comedic, you're very right. Because uh, when the monk gets killed before we enter the Red Lotus Temple, that's just brutal. They just, he's, he just lies there still and they just stab him to death and blood spurts all over the place. Man, yeah, for sure. It sets up the stakes that, that it's going to be like, you know, a dangerous film. The characters aren't, aren't safe. You know, they're kind of being pursued. And I think it really kind of, um, it really kind of amps up, amps up the stakes for like later in the film. And and nothing of this is a rethread of what you knew of Fong Sayok in the nineties. He's not at home studying. He's not about to join the Red Flower Society as depicted in the Jet Li movie. So it's not just that story to tap into thankfully they came up with something new or knew something else to tap into in terms of where Fong Sayok has been and where he's going so uh, you know we we get the setup of the characters decent enough obviously they're they're chased that that's good enough uh, uh, set up he meets Carmen Lee who's a prostitute but I, I like that Willie Chi's character he asks her about her profession but he's not doing so in a pervy manner because he's a monk he doesn't know he seems mm. friendly he, he tries mm. To, even though they're chased and all of that, he try he's curious about the world. So uh, there's uh, there's that beat. But then Ringo Lam surprises us uh, with a few beats. For instance, that the army is waiting for them the morning after they've hit him in the house with cannons and shit. Yeah, yeah. they really want those monks. <laughs> That kind of constant pursuit of the characters, I think, is is good. And we'll make for a good film in in itself, just focusing on that. But I think the fact that it, then it goes, we kind of slide to the temple kind of halfway through, and then it's set there, and then the kind of the escape from there, the kind of prison vibe to it. I mean, again, it's like it, it does give you that kind of prison film vibe, do you know what I mean? It feels sure. like there's, there's some kind of there's a chase, and then there's an escape. You know, maybe it's the other way around normally, but like in this film, it's going to chase, then the escape, and... I think that really works for it. But yeah, as you mentioned, it's like there's kind of these, these surprises, these kind of brutal kind of surprises throughout. Speaking of Willie, by the way, I think yeah, he, he does a lot of his action, but clearly some of the choreography is uh, uh, is uh, needed. Uh, someone else needs to do it, some more acrobatic stuff. He yeah. he, he does some he, more of the grounded stuff rather than him being on the wires. And But that's not a detracting detractor kind of thing because that's common way of, of sure. uh, crafting choreography whenever you put you know tony lung and maggie chung up in the wires and stuff that's not them but they perform as much as they can you know when it's grounded so what willie is doing here is sort of the same level as you expect some other stars to do and heck even jet lee was double a lot in the 90s because he was injured man yeah so he had a broken foot during the first once upon a time in china i think so uh, it, it does happen i think i don't know what people get in their head sometimes think about um you know actors oh i didn't do their own stunts or that's so clearly a double i think if you're a fan of Hong Kong cinema you just tend to switch that off i mean you know back in the 80s with you know yumbo like uh doubling for cynthia rothrock and stuff i think it's one of those things that you just you just turn off like um i don't think actors you know, just because Hong Kong cinema should be expected to like do all the kind of you know crazy shit like wire work and stuff um i think it's just the kind of standard you know there's going to be an actor and then there's going to be you know doubling uh, especially with the wire stuff because it's, it's a tougher 
you know, it's a tougher thing to do, you know, knocking about in like wires all day, spinning around and stuff. There's going to be and some they're good at mixing that stuff anyway. For sure, so, always, uh, man. Yeah, so, so it always. looks good. And Willie, I mean, was he destined for breakout stardom? Who knows? You, you've seen actors and performers start from scratch like he does. If, if we take away the yeah. fact that he's far invested in it, you've seen new actors that then break out. And you never know sometimes. In this case, the audience taste for Willie Chi wasn't there and uh, sometimes you don't know i mean he, he does okay here and uh, thankfully the movie doesn't he put a lot of acting on him and a lot of like you're gonna be a romantic lead now i mean no 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 yeah because the monk thing i think the monk thing helps him out in, in that respect like you were saying he's never like they never kind of hang him out to dry with anything kind of sleazy or anything romantic it's normal kind of like cut and dry he's getting good emotive you know believable actor with some good martial arts chops so Exactly. Uh, it, it's a shame that yeah he didn't break out and he was in a few films and, and didn't go from there. But again, the commercialism sometimes dictates where you're going to be in terms of your acting career. I'm interested whether he did any um, American stuff or anything like that. I'll have to have a check. What do you think? Yeah, when the movie switches to its main center stage, if you will, the insides of the Red Lotus Temple, the, the underground, uh, uh, good um, underground playground for Ringo Lam and Choi Hark and all of those. Yeah, man. Like I said, I mean, again, the, the the set work and cinematography just kind of ramps up from there. It was already good, and then from there, there's that, again, there's a really kind of oppressive feeling to it. The characters are trapped, that kind of prison-like atmosphere, and it's 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 awesome seeing kind of the ways um, the characters interact and and kind of how they plan to get out. I think a lot of people I've seen some people kind of uh, compare it to like Temple of Doom. Obviously, uh, Indiana Jones. It's similar. It's similar. It's got a similar kind of vibe um, with with the kind of the traps and and the kind of uh, the underground. It's just literally just like a, a kind of hive of traps and characters trying to get out and have to think around it, which I think is it's unique and it's 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 cool because I think if they were just down there and it wasn't really that, it might be a bit boring. But the fact that you know that there's kind of a lot to fight against and lots to kind of work towards get out, I think that really kind of again amps up the, the energy of it and amps up the kind of drama of it and and heightens the action scenes because you know it's kind of leading towards somewhere it's a multi-story place and also there's a lot of surprises to come throughout the movie because indeed it has a lot of booby traps which is the, the delight of the movie that you you don't know when Ringo is gonna play that card necessarily uh which because you you think you know the movie structure and then Boom, fall into a hole and back on square one or almost like, like like when they get back to the death pit again. <laughs> you know? yeah. the, the place is borderline on horror, obviously, and the supernatural even. Um, if you look at the Wong Kam Kong's character, but but yeah, I say supernatural is part of the martial world, so people have abilities, uh, right? So, uh, but uh, but yeah, the gothic look to it, I think, you know, is one of its aces really because the deeper we get into sure, the temple yeah. and reveal some of the, the layers of the elder kung character that you don't see obviously when you get to the main hall and all of that that's just i didn't expect that i didn't expect it from ringo necessarily to go all gothic i didn't expect it from choi hark for him to go all gothic and i think it's just good fun this uh, uh the more layers ringo reveals of this place that's not as easy to escape from as the movie might suggest at one point because we, we have a breakout in the middle of the film we're gonna run to our freedom and then boom they're fucked again <laughs> that i think it helps us truly hard producing because it feels like you know it's interesting because I, I almost feel like the setup and the period setting it feels like his canvas almost that ringo's like splashing you know, all over with his paint, you know, his vibe and his energy. Uh, and I think it was it was probably clever choice to kind of let him let him at it. It's almost like he kind of made the base and then Ringo's the one to kind of paint on it is, you know, nihilistic kind of grit on top of it. What do you think of our um, our bad guy that because you'd expect bad guys to be act big, but Wong Kang Kong, uh, d- uh, like it does a balancing act between mad, but also just silent and confident. Yeah, yeah, you can, you can play both. And I think it's good that he's kind of revealed as both. Um, and I think towards the end, he's kind of revealed to have these, you know, kind of almost like supernatural kind of powers, but he never goes too far into, you know, that fantastical element, which I, I think would have spoiled the film. You know, I think he's, he's a great performance and he can do both. And I think towards the end, they kind of uh, put it as 
he's got maybe these these slight kind of powers, like this supernatural vibe, but it's always kind of well grounded and always kind of like you know, I say realistic, kind of neo realism. Not to fucking sound pretentious, but like you know, it's it's all kind of believable rather than kind of you know, for, uh, for spirits and shit flying around. But but I do I do like one count calling it a lot because um, yes, he has he's started he, out as an art director. Though. Well, well, here's the thing: he must be an accomplished painter because he 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 does his own uh, art for this movie as the character paints these this winged winged well it looks like a bird but then he starts painting more morbid stuff on there throwing uh, splashes of blood on there obviously uh, slicing one of the concubines wrists to use as paint and and those art pieces are it doesn't look like something you just practice for the movie it looks like one, we're gonna use one Kang Kong's actual skills. Yeah, man, we've got a Takeshi Kitano on our hands over here with with one Kang, you know, incorporating you know his kind of outside artistic elements into you know the film itself. Definitely, because that's what I thought when I read about that, and I thought it must be you know his own kind of maybe that's why. Obviously, he's a, he's, he's a great actor as well and great evil kind of actor. Not himself is not evil, but great evil performance, and he can do that. But it might also be the fact that you know he had that artistic you know, vibe in him that really kind of shows uh, in the film, especially towards the latter end. Yeah, and he writes those, uh, you know, he signs the painting essentially with, uh, you know, stuff like Buddha enjoys hell. <laughs> no, that's, that's just fun. Oh, poetry, man. man. Poetry, that's man. just fun. Uh, speaking of the Kung Fu again, I, I, it's not really designed as Kung Fu, but um, Raleigh, Robert Ringolam and um, Chris Lee, the action director, they use it for some more acrobatic feats rather than constant flying so you know for instance when they, they kick up boards and stuff and do yeah. a little bit of do, do some flips but then the movie settles down and engages in showing us hand-to-hand exchanges and so forth and i think that that's rather thrilling because it's on the ground it's on like uh, burning pits and things like that at points so it's rather graceful but uh, some fights even are somewhat primal and isn't about grace and just kill and wrestling and struggling and uh, and, and again it has no particular depth this movie but uh, it's got so many cool touches uh, you know the only sort of hint at you know minor depth I suppose but it's just in the writing is that the place the Red Lotus Temple it sounds like that going back to Wong Kam Kong's character that he's half lost himself in that place so he's just there to it's just violence and morbid art and tyranny in that particular place for him because at one point he 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 sort of emphasizes or even says that this place has no buddhism you know it's squashed off uh, buddhism and within it you have to respond with violence and even the monks trying to escape they have to respond with violence and uh, There's some points here where Lamb effectively emphasizes this, that within this place, abandon all beliefs because it's a house of traps and it's dangerous and we're screwed if we if we don't act. You know, be, 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 we're screwed if we, we're not proactive. So um, a little tint there that I enjoy without Ringo and write the Nam Gien making, you know, school on fire, wuxia style or anything, you know, social commentary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, I think it's, it's not, again, the kind of the darkness and the kind of, I wouldn't say the backstory, but kind of that 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 darkness that it's set upon isn't you know it's used to good effect. There, it's never really kind of pulled out as you know a commentary or anything like that. It's 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 more kind of used as to kind of set up the fact that the kind of the the, the actual temple itself is is or the cave, uh, you know, is kind of unholy and it's not a safe place. Um, that's a good term I think for that's it. kind of it. It's utilized, yeah, uh, in that respect rather than kind of being this commentary or something but as you're saying with Ringo yeah I think the, the kind of flying around stuff and then the fantastical uh, vibe is a lot more you know Choi Hark's kind of calling card and I think with Ringo it suits him that the actions are a bit more grounded yeah he he, he, he slotted himself into this quite nicely which, we, which you can't say he's really ever done with comedy um, you know he's always had a str- struggle to do comedy then and um, somewhat recently um, so um, I, I, I like that this um, if he wanted to do this, it shows up in the end that uh, he was uh, into this and he knew a thing or two of uh, how to change up the the landscape a little bit. Yes, it flopped, but the proof is in the cinema and uh, Burning, okay, pa- yeah. Burning Paradise has it has survived. Yes, might be more of a cult film than a widely seen film, but it ultimately I think it has survived. It's been um, reevaluated, I think. 
like especially in kind of our our circles or whatever or you know whatever circles we roll in but the kind of the community i think is definitely being reevaluated as kind of uh, you know uh, one of the kind of masterpieces of the 90s like and i think that that's good and i'm glad that it's coming out and i think if Ringo was gonna just you know have one go which which he did. I think it's a, it's it's a, an amazing calling card to have there. Uh, yeah, because it isn't uh, you know if you were afraid that oh it's gonna be one of those heavy Ringo Lamb movies again, you know uh, it, it isn't. It's merely you know very adult in its tone and uh, yeah. but it isn't uh, trying to uh, speak of con- uh, what he's concerned about or anything. Yeah, yeah, definitely, man, definitely. Uh, so yes, I, I'll, I'll conclude my notes uh, there. Other than saying that uh, uh, if, you, if you also like the kung fu trope of uh, a room with uh, unexpected traps, this is uh, this is worth it just for that. But in this case, rather than all those bronze man movies and all of that, these traps have a, like a violent edge to them. It feels uh, way more dangerous in this particular temple. Um, Definitely, it's not safe. It's not a safe place. I know you're planning on like a holiday, you know, you're on the website, you're looking for kind of cheap flights out to the fucking Red Lotus Temple, but don't do it, dude. There it is, PSA, Tom KW style. (laughs) Don't do crack either. Honestly, it's bad, man. But at any rate, uh, do you have any other notes before we go? That is, that is pretty much it, man. That's uh, that's just kind of everything I, I had down, and I, I think I'm glad. I think we're we're both fairly um agree, agree in agreement about this number. And as for availability of it, it was a little spotty on DVD for a while, but by now you have at least a US release by Disco Tech Media readily available. And uh, if you're in Europe and don't need subtitles at all. Because the discotheque media release obviously is subtitles, uh, subtitled. There's a two-pack from France, uh, from HK Video, containing remastered versions of Burning Paradise as well as Blade of Fury in the same set, uh, which, which it came out before, you know, both the discotheque media version and the Warner archive version of uh, Blade of Fury. So this is quite an old release, but it's still in print because um, I found it for a reasonable price. Would you, would you, as a quick one, would you take this over Blade of Fury or Blade of Fury over this? Oh, this is way better than Blade of Fury. I like Blade of Fury, but uh, it has, uh, it's very watchable because I really like that Sam Hung did quite an old school movie, but god damn is it undercracked at points. <laughs> yeah, 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 too much. What about, what about this compared to, speaking of Joy Heart, the Blade from the year after? No, no, a few years after. It's kind of after. tough, but I like the Blade ever so slightly more than this. because. But, but Blade is a little bit trickier to recommend because it's kind of an artsy-fartsy movie, but and a visual, visual experiment. I actually had it in my notes. It showed, Burning Paradise showed that Choi Hak didn't like the dark, violent tone of the martial world merely for this movie, but also for his mm-hmm. own movie. But he made quite a different movie. It's almost documentary in style at points, and and yeah. and, and sometimes willingly style over substance. But uh, I like the blade ever so slightly more. But I highly recommend both. Yeah, I agree. it's almost like two sides of the same coin, really. Both kind of choy, you know, whooshes, but one he's, he's got more kind of handle on. It's it, it, it's more messy the blade. It, it's more like um, it, it's an assault. One's tighter. Yeah, yeah, I agree. It's it's like two very two very different styles, but kind of you know similar. You know, I'd say themes, but kind of obviously being in that kind of wusha, uh pocket. And that flopped sure. as well. So it, yeah, it, it, it wasn't yeah, meant for yeah. that part it's of not the that night. Really, the blade. It's it's it, it gets a bit arty, as you say, but I don't think it's particularly dark. It's more kind of commercial, I would say, in terms of um, like its vibe, really. But yeah, maybe the kind of arty stuff, kind of. I I'd say it is dark, but it is it it is just the tone in general uh, was very dusty and deserty and ugly <laughs> and... Dusty tone, yeah. I, I agree though, I completely agree yeah so but it, it's great i really like it and it's also or at least was out on hk video uh, the blade uh, in france and they even did a full english language making off documentary uh Choi Hak spoke at length about the blade uh, furthermore um these dvd editions that i talked of uh, from discotech media and hk video they should be or are uncut because the original theatrical release of Burning Paradise had some trims to avoid a category free rating. And if my research is correct, that was removed even by Golden Harvest before it was uh, submitted to the ratings board because they, they, they probably saw that the prolonged blood spurts and things like that, if we cut down a few seconds here and there, 
we're gonna slide in under the category three. Uh, but but nowadays that stuff is reinstated for video. Man, that's been so many times, especially with sensors, that they go in and they actually kind of add more to it or they change something else and then they let the blood slip through because they're more focused on something else. It's weird how many times you hear that with uh, getting past getting films past sensors in terms of what you know what should be there and what shouldn't for its age rating. It's a bit mad. And I think, uh, you know, the stuff from the beginning of the movie, the, the way they linger on certain blood blood uh, spurting effects, splatter effects, I think that's the stuff. If a shot lasts for like three seconds, maybe they cut it down to one and a half or things like that. So Little bits, yeah. Doesn't doesn't I mean it's no it doesn't impact the film at no, all. No, you know, no, no, no. Sure. Uh, but but that's the status of availability. Next time uh, in the director series, uh, Ringo Lam returns to Hong Kong and will therefore look at the 1997 thriller Full Alert, starring Lao Ching Wan, Francis Ng, and a killer car chase. Ooh, tune in for that one. Mm-hmm. Oh, can, I, can, can I come to that? Yeah, Am I you're, invited. You're invited. <laughs> <laughs> can, I, nice can I come idiot. as well? <laughs> No, you can't come. It's going to be a solo one by me. And I'll pretty much just spend two hours of it with my uh, ASMR routine. I told you I was going to work it in, Ken. And I did, dude. I said I was going to work it in, and I did. Those of you who know who are like 12 years old, you can uh, laugh along with Tom. I mean, dude, I'm literally going to be on some, some gay porn site like, within, within seconds of it being uploaded, for sure. Again, subtitles. Subtitles, yeah. You get, I'll, uh, I'll send you over a sheet for this episode thanks you can you can play along exactly. <laughs> some cliff notes but at any rate we're going to conclude this episode for all your podcast on fire network needs go to podcastonfire.com. all social media links are available always at the site but also within the show post of this episode so check that out and uh, as well as obviously tom's review archive at vcinemashow.com will be available in the show links and uh, in the meantime we are done for this uh, director series a little good retrospective on burning paradise and next time we're gonna hit up uh, Full Alert by Ringo Lam, his first Hong Kong movie after his Hollywood adventure. So we'll see you for next episode. My name is Ken B and with me was Tom KW. Say hi, buddy. Bye, guys. Oh, bye, bye. See you later. <laughs> Say hello. Hello. Are we leaving? Oh, okay.